Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. to be here with you all and on your birthday. I feel like that's extra special. Um, just as even Mike was sharing before, I just think it's so beautiful, first of all, to be celebrating a birthday. Three years is so significant, especially for a church plant and to see how alive you all are and how many of you here is so exciting. But just as you're looking forward into the future, I also want to encourage you that we're going to look out a bit today as well. And the future of the church, everyone is looking forward during this time, forward to what does it look like to be a Christian in the years to come. Um, And that's just not something that we in Australia are looking at today, but across the globe, our brothers and sisters all over are looking at that as well. Um, And so I just want to encourage you with that. You can all take a seat, though. Good on you for standing for so long. Uh, So my name is Ali Lloyd. I'm 24 years old, and my heart beats for the church. And when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the global church. Yes, that refers to our brothers and sisters all over the world, but it also refers to you guys. You and me, we are part of this global church. And sometimes when we think about (coughs) believers living in Nigeria or North Korea or Afghanistan, we can feel a little bit removed from what Christianity and faith looks like in some of these regions. But today I just want to bring it a bit closer to home because no matter what our context is, no matter where we are following Christ, we are all ultimately trying to follow Jesus the best way that we know how. Amen? We don't necessarily all know everything. We're not facing the same challenges, even with the person sitting in your next seat. But one thing I hope that today brings is a bit of mentorship from our brothers and sisters around the world. Some of the lessons, some of the things they have learned following Jesus in the darkest places to follow him on the planet. They've learned some pretty special things in that environment with Christ. And today I just want to share some of their stories and impart this wisdom from the persecuted church to you today, that although we may never have to face suffering for our faith to the same degree that they do, that we may still live a life of faith as radically as they do. One thing my father actually said to me when I was younger, what would it look like to have a third world faith in a first world nation? What would it look like that if tomorrow we didn't actually know if we would have food on our table, so we had to rely on everything to know that Jesus would provide for us? I feel like our life would look a little bit radically different. We may be getting up a bit earlier to pray, pressing in and believing for more, taking the scripture and what Jesus says at his word, because if we don't believe it, we may not see our needs met. And God is so kind in how he provides, but I think there's something so radical that we can experience from witnessing the way our brothers and sisters follow Jesus in their context. I believe, as I said, that the message of the persecuted church is one of the most pertinent messages for the body of Christ in this season. As I'm sure you may realise, what we've experienced, even as the Australian church in recent years has 
I guess, placed a little bit more pressure on the church than what we've experienced. I don't know if you've heard about laws happening in Victoria, but the shift that's taken place for pastors has been quite significant. Having to ask questions um, and challenge things that they haven't had to before. But I think in the midst of that, sometimes fear can like to raise its head. We think persecution and most likely in the church, we link persecution to fear (laughs) or to suffering. But the thing I want to remind you all today is that persecution, as we see in Acts, as we've seen in China currently, and we see all through history, persecution propels the gospel. Amen? It's in the midst of persecution that the message of Christ resounds louder than ever before. Because we know that it's in the darkness, the light shines the brightest. And what's darker than being in a place where people are willing to put their life on the line and people are threatening to kill? In that place is where we see the gospel shine brighter than ever before. So persecution is not something to fear, but something to take a hold of in courage and say, Jesus, let your glory be known in this place in this space. Amen. Amen. So one thing I wanted to share with you all before I share some of those stories today is I don't know if you're aware, but as a community, as a body of believers here in Adelaide, you've actually, in partnering with Open Doors, been supporting the work of the church in Indonesia. Put your hand up if you knew that. Well, cool, a few people. So for those who did know and for those who don't and you're finding it out for the first time, I thought it'd be awesome to share a little bit about what you're actually seeing accomplished in Indonesia through your prayers, through your donations, through what you're doing here as a church, how it's actually influencing the church in Indonesia. And I tell you, it's actually so exciting. So Indonesia, there are 33 million Christians. That's pretty huge. That's more Christians than there are people in Australia, <laughs> which is exciting. Um, Indonesia is ranked as the 47th most dangerous nation in the world to follow Jesus Christ. Um, put your hand up as well if you've been to Bali or to anywhere in Indonesia. Cool. So a lot of people have. What you may have experienced in Indonesia, um, may, you may have gone and visited churches there or you may have just been holidaying. But what we know is that amongst all the islands, it can be very different, very different experience for people following Jesus. I was hearing a story quite recently, and a member of our team had hosted a call with a number of pastors and church leaders and members in Indonesia, and they were talking around persecution in their own country. And I thought this was really interesting Because in their own country, the church didn't actually know the extent of what other believers within their own nation were experiencing in persecution. I find that so fascinating because in one corner of Indonesia, you can boldly follow Christ. You can have your church meetings function as we do here with no problems. But then at the same minute, on the other side of Indonesia, there are Christians who are being beaten for their faith. And for a lot of the church in the places where it's relatively safe, they don't really have, they had no idea at the extent of persecution happening in their own nation. And so one area that you as a church are focusing your donations on is actually discipleship training and leadership training. That's where a lot of your money um, in supporting Open Doors this year is actually going towards. 
And one of the things, this thing that we hosted recently was actually discipling and training other pastors in Indonesia to know what their nation is currently going through so that they wouldn't just know to pray into, but they would also know how to stand with their brothers and sisters, how to face it in a legal aspect, how to change policies and laws in their nation to make it safer for Christians to follow Jesus. That's so exciting. I hope you guys realize that, that you're actually right here in this room, here in Australia, thousands of kilometers away, having influence to what the church looks like and will look like in the future in Indonesia. That is something to celebrate. I think you guys deserve a round of applause for that. (laughs) But on that, I want to share a couple of these stories. Do you know that there's currently 340 million Christians around the world that suffer for their faith in Jesus? 340 million. You may be better at maths than I, but I really struggle to get my head around a number that significant. But the thing I like to remind myself is that for each one of that giant number, there is a name and a face and a testimony and a family that represent each of those numbers that are radically following Jesus in difficult circumstances. And today I just want to share a couple of those stories with you and I pray that it will just encourage you and build you up in your own faith as you follow Jesus here in Australia. The first story I want to share with you is of a man that we call Father Yukonin. Now, he was a priest and um, in the Russian Orthodox Church, and he was imprisoned in a notorious labor camp in Russia for five years. In this labor camp, he wasn't just put in a cell with many other prisoners, but instead that five years he spent in isolation, solitary isolation just by himself. And he was told that he could take one item into prison with him, which I think is kind of kind, going into prison. You'd think maybe they're not allowed anything, but they let him take one thing in with him. And out of everything he could have taken, he chose to take a string of beads, which he called his prayer beads. And he took this prayer beads in and it had 11 beads on it. And every single morning he would wake up, he would use this one item he was allowed to take in, to stimulate a morning ritual of thankfulness. I found that really interesting, that out of everything he could have taken in, he found value in bringing in something that would cultivate his discipline of thankfulness. Father Yukonen, he commented that what saved him during, during those five years was using these beads to produce this time of thankfulness. He said, human beings have two options in life. They can exist or they can flourish. Flourishing is nothing to do with material wealth for you can merely exist as a rich person, but you can flourish in prison. You can and believe that we must deliberately set ourselves a goal of being thankful to God because that is ultimately why we were made by him in the first place. Isn't that right? Even just this time we've had this morning of worshipping him is thanking and praising and glorifying him for who he is and who he has now made us to be. In Psalm 116 verse 12, it says, How can I repay the Lord for his goodness to me? And this is the attitude that Father Yukonan believed we must as believers in everything we experience hold on to so that no matter what we face, we can continue to flourish. 
As we see in Romans 1.21 as well, it says, Though they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him. There's this essence we see throughout the scripture of thankfulness, which I know today you're probably all thinking, gosh, this is a really simple topic, (laughs) being thankful. But I think it's as I, I hope you see as we unpack this today that there's actually a root in our society that we struggle with thankfulness. We struggle with realizing the blessings that we have and when we don't position ourselves in thankfulness, that's where we slip into apathy. It's where we slip into um, depression, anxiety. And I hope these things today give you a, a reminder of the strength we have in Christ Jesus. A reminder that in the simple things of life, choosing thankfulness, we see ourselves flourish in prison. So Father Ukrainan lived this out every single morning he was in the labor camps. He would sit and think of 11 things he was thankful for. He'd say, God, I'm thank you that I have a bed to sleep on. Thank you that I'm alone and I get to spend time with you. Thank you that I'm still breathing so you still have a purpose for me. And that's just three out of 11. But I think, gosh, he must have had some quite repetitive mornings. I can't really think of how creative you can get with 11 things every day in prison. But the thing that challenged me so much about Father Yukonan was he had actually created this discipline well before he entered prison. Father Yukonan, he saw this need of growing thankfulness in his life. So that when prison hit, he was already prepared. He already knew what his rhythm was and how he was going to endure and flourish in that space. And I asked myself, because I don't know about you, but I haven't necessarily cultivated this discipline in my life. If today as we're sitting here, people with guns, police came in and they captured us all up and they took us to prison today, what do you think your response would be? I think for me, I would sit there in silence for a bit and then begin to think, gosh, this kind of sucks. (laughs) Like it's cool to be counted among Paul and Silas and those who are in prison, but man, I don't think it would be long before I started um, getting disappointed or annoyed or, um, or frustrated with the situation I was in. And I don't know about you, but I think for me, it's because that discipline of thankfulness hasn't been cultivated So when those times of trial hit, we still flourish in the midst of it. Recently, I was talking to the Lord around this and he took me to the famous passage of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Who knows this story? If you grew up in Sunday school, you'll be very well familiar. Um, But the story briefly is Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were three um, Israelites who found themselves in a foreign land. And at this moment, they were brought before a king, King Nebuchadnezzar, who commanded everyone before him to bow down before him, an act of worship. And everyone bows down before King Nebuchadnezzar, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood firm, and they would not bow before this king, because this was not their king. This was not Yahweh. And in this moment, they were... They were told to come up because we are going to throw you into a fiery furnace. So hot that the people that were even stoking it burnt as they stoked the fire. And if you know the story, you know it goes that as these three men were thrown into the fire, they were not consumed. Their clothes weren't even singed. Nothing burnt upon them. And... 
God came and met them as a fourth man in the fire. So amazing. So wild that you can be standing in a furnace and not be consumed. And I've heard this story so many times. But this time recently I was reading it. I just began to ask God a new question. I asked him, God, why did you meet them as the fourth man in the fire? Why did you not just put the fire out? Wouldn't that be easier to just put the fire out and then there's nothing, there's no issue there? Why did you actually go and meet them as the fourth man in the fire? And I felt the Lord say to me, because if I had merely put the fire out, it would have shown that the fire had power over them. But by me coming to meet them as the fourth man in the fire, it shows that the fire didn't have power over them, but that I, God, had power to save them from the environment they're in, that I, God, am greater than their circumstance, that I, the Lord, am the one who is the saviour and the redeemer. I don't know about you, but for me, that became a revelation in my heart. And it began to make me think about this story and other scriptures in the Bible, as well as situations in my own life, a little bit differently. Because instead of asking those classic why God questions, I began to see that maybe these moments where we're not saved from is an invitation for God to make it a platform for his glory. And that's the thing, out of this story, King Nebuchadnezzar sees these men not singed. He brings them out and he says, your God is the God, (laughs) must be the ultimate God. The fact that this God can save you from this, he is real and alive. But if God had merely put the fire out, then none of the testimony to his goodness would have been able to be glorified. In reflection to this, it began to produce so much thankfulness in my own heart. But I realized that when I find myself in times of a fiery furnace, I don't always see thankfulness continue to come out of my life. I don't know about you, but sometimes when we're in the middle of a situation, we don't always see the goodness of God flow out, but we may see something else. In James 1.3, in the message, it states, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open to show its true colors. I love the way that translation depicts this verse, that it's not until we're in times of trial that we really see what we've created with the Lord in the secret place. All of a sudden to the people around us, when they see us in difficulty, they see what is within burst forth. Is it courage or fear? Determination or surrender? Gratitude or complaint? As we all know, Jesus actually promises us times of trials and persecutions and tribulations in the New Testament. And I don't know about you, but I'm a classic underliner. Like all my Bibles are covered in highlighters and marks. But I would often, when I'd hit the scriptures of persecution and suffering, skip those verses and go to the next one. (laughs) Just look for the blessings. And So Psalms is very scattered because half is coloured and half is not. (laughs) But the thing that I guess we all have to face is that Jesus promises it. Jesus actually took the time to say trials and tribulations will come. You will have this as you follow me. And so as much as we may try to avoid it, we know that in life as we follow Jesus that these things will come at some point. 
And so how are we preparing for when those times hit so we know that we will thrive and Jesus will be glorified in the midst and not complain? One of my favourite scriptures is Psalm 23.5, that the Lord prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. It actually reminds me of one of my favourite stories that I've heard in my time with Open Doors, that of a woman named Helen Bahani, who was following Jesus in Eritrea. But Helen, she was locked in a shipping container for two and a half years because she was unwilling to stop sharing her faith. Now in Eritrea, I don't know if any of you have heard of Eritrea, it's a tiny country near the top of North Africa. And in Eritrea, they don't actually have prisons, but the desert is a prison. And they will literally put shipping containers in the middle of the desert and throw people inside of it, and that is their prison. And Helen was locked in in a shipping container with 20-plus people. It was boiling hot during the day and freezing cold at night. But even in this environment, Helen could not stop herself in sharing the gospel. And she would often be caught teaching new believers who she'd brought to the Lord in the shipping container Bible passages or teaching them songs and hymns of praise. And on one occasion where she was teaching a Bible story, she was caught by some of the guards in her cell. And the guards, they took her out of this prison cell. They stripped her and forced her onto the rocky ground. And they began to ask Helen this question. They said, Helen, where is your Bible? She said, I do not have one. They asked again, Helen, where is your Bible? She said, I'm here in prison. I'm not allowed to have a Bible. And then the guard asked Helen, is your Bible in your head? And she exclaimed, yes, I do carry the word of God in both my head and my heart. And the guard responded, well, we're going to have to beat it out of you then. And he took a baton and began beating Helen. But the thing that amazes me is that halfway through this beating, Helen stopped and she looked the guard right in the eyes and she said, I do not hate you and I forgive you because you are merely carrying out an order. But you need to know that I am carrying out an order too and that is not to deny Jesus Christ. So carry on. Such a wild response. After the beating, she was thrown back into her prison cell and Helen on the brink of death laid herself out before God and she began thanking him. She said, thank you God for the cold nights that it reminds me to pray to you because I am kept awake. Thank you for the hot days that I can be in this cell and share the gospel with people. Thank you that I am still alive. Thank you God. The amazing thing for Helen is that it wasn't actually illegal to be a Christian in Eritrea. The thing that is illegal in Eritrea is sharing the gospel. All Helen had to do to leave that prison was sign a piece of paper saying she would never share the gospel again. But sign that piece of paper she never could because as she often says, Jesus Christ is the medicine to this world, so he must be shared. Helen lived from this position of thankfulness. And after three years, she was actually released and Open Doors provided her a way to get to Denmark and follow Jesus there in safety. So when that opportunity came, she was often asked to come and share in Western churches. 
And she would always ask this question, if tomorrow all you had is what you were thankful for today, what would you have? It's a really challenging and sobering question. Think about it yesterday. What did you stop and were you thankful for yesterday? Imagine if you woke up and that was literally all you had today. What would we end up having? Back to that scripture in Psalm 23 that the Lord prepares a table for us in the midst of our enemies. Helen not only lived out her life in a position of thankfulness and in living out this scripture so she knew she would be rich with each morning, seeing the same God who is alive today continue always, but she also found a way to engage with God in the presence of her enemies. The fact that she had strength to say that to that officer in that moment shows that she was experiencing God even in that pain. For us here in Australia, our enemies may look wildly different to Helen. We may not have someone with us, with a baton over us, threatening us. But for many of us, our enemies can look so much more intangible at times. It can be things like health issues, job loss, anxiety, depression. These things are still very real in our lives and these are the enemies that try to subdue even our own faith. But it's in the presence of those enemies that God actually prepares a table for us and says, you too can sit here and experience me in the midst of these enemies around you. In the midst of these life situations, God is real and he wants to meet you right there. In all of this, I believe that the preparation for pressure begins in these small moments of our life. It's in these moments where you're sitting at home and you know church is on, but apathy overcomes you, that you can actually thank God that, you, that we get the opportunity to go to church and find the strength to go. It's in the moments where you're sharing the gospel with a friend at work and they shove it back in your face and say, no thanks, that in the midst of that rejection, you can thank God for the opportunity to sow a seed and rise above it. It's in the midst of these little moments in our life that prepares us for the big fiery furnace seasons so that we know when we step into it, just as we see in the persecuted church, God will come forth in our life. He will be the true colours that force out in that darkness. I want to share one last story with you if there's time today. And this is of a brother in India, and I had a video to show of his, but I'll quickly share it. But he was sowing his heart, his, his life into North India. And if you know much about North India, it is very difficult to follow Jesus in this country. And he started a church, a church plant, um, and he was sowing his heart in there for 12 years. And he saw 30 families, 30 people, sorry, come to faith in 12 years. That's quite a slog <laughs> to see like two people a year come to faith. And the nation that he was trying to reach, he built a church to try and encourage people to come. And Hindu extremists in the area lit a torch and burnt the church to the ground. And Pastor Rohan, his response to this was to simply pray and rebuild. But when I heard that, I was really confronted that if I was ministering into a nation and trying to reach out to a people 
and the people I was trying to reach burnt my church to the ground. Would we leave out of fear or would we leave even with a desire to see God move somewhere else? Or like what we see in the persecuted church, would our hearts remain and say, God, if I go, who will share the gospel? If I go, who will sow their heart into this nation to see them come to faith? And this is the beautiful picture we see come forth through the persecuted church. The picture that we see in the life of Jesus, that even though the cross was before him and the pain was before him, he saw each of your faces and said, it is worthy. This is a joy to go to this cross for everything that is on the other side. And that's the challenge that I remind myself of daily hearing these stories is that these brothers and sisters share the same heart as Jesus did. That even though they wake up and say, today may be the day that I face my cross, as I share the gospel, I will boldly go towards that so that even one may be saved, so that even one more may hear the seed of the gospel and it come alive in their hearts. Because they've experienced the hope that we feel here in this room They've experienced the glory of knowing their Saviour and it is everything to share it. So brothers and sisters here in Australia, how are we also overcoming fear to see Adelaide reach for the gospel? I really want to encourage you to remember these names and faces even as you go about your own life. Even as you're in the supermarket and you feel that tugging on your heart to go and share with that person, don't let fear overcome you. Remember your brothers and sisters who said yes to God in the face of pain, that you may see lives here in Australia also come to know God. I also want to encourage you as well that there are so many ways that we can engage with the persecuted church. And the best one is to pray, to remember your brothers and sisters, to remember that 340 million Christians, people like you and me, who are following Jesus even when it could cost them their lives. That as you remember them, you would pray for them, that they would have strength to endure persecution. I also want to encourage you that there are some flyers on on your seats an opportunity for you to engage with what your church is actually doing in ministering to the work of Open Doors. And I believe this is a wild opportunity to actually have yourself go into nations that you may never be able to step into. Nations like North Korea and Iran and Afghanistan, you may never get to set your feet on the ground there. But through giving to a ministry like Open Doors, you can know that like you're having in Indonesia, you're having impact into the gospel going forth into the darkest places on the world. I believe it's literally like being like Jesus and stepping into that fiery furnace with our brothers and sisters and saying, I will choose to stand. I will choose to stand with you and endure this with you. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. 
And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.